Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Computomics podcast. We have a really great guest for you today, Kevin Falk, who is a recent PhD graduate of Iowa State University. He has great experience working in both academia as well as industry. And he's also just really passionate about science communication and communicating um, the importance, the innovation, the um, the excitement that is happening within the ag sector. And we spend a little time talking about um, how large industry can contribute to that innovation and really how we, c- we can expand uh, the general understanding and enthusiasm of agriculture for the greater community. So I hope you enjoy. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Anna, for that warm welcome and that warm introduction. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's great to be here. Thanks. So I think the first question that comes to my mind, at least from my previous discussions, is this concept of phenomics. So this idea of taking a lot of um, environmental factors or phenotype factors, or of course, we have genomics um, already as a as a term that's widely used, can you sort of talk about the way that you've seen phenotyping evolve into its own sort of new category, new way of phenotyping? Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a great question. You know, 10 years ago, we saw the genomic, this genomic revolution, it maybe even in more than 10 years ago, but the, the term genomics has risen in, in common use uh, in the last 10 years, and now uh, phenotyping has as well. And I think phenotyping, phenomics is, is just the, is, is the same as genomics. It's just a play on genomics. So it's looking at the phenotype of a plant. Instead of the genotype of a plant, it's, it's looking at the phenotype and everything surrounding that phenotype. And it's, it's definitely more of a computational base in which we're taking images of the phenotype. And it, traditionally, we'd go out to the plots and we would we would assess the plots visually and, and give a rating based on the phenotype, the morphology of the plant. And now, now we're looking at that through a computer lens, through an image lens in that light. So, so similar to that genomics is looking at, at the DNA of the plant, the phenomics is, is looking at the morphology of the plant through through image analytics. And we're seeing a lot of the you know, like omics, environmental omics we were speaking about before we started recording here, uh, metabolomics, transcriptomics. Right. Uh, when you get into the world of, of computational biology or, or plant breeding in general, it's, it's omics everywhere you look. So <laughs> as buzzwordy as it sounds, um, it's kind of my little world, the, the plant phenomics. And, and yeah. I was lucky enough to study it at Iowa State in which... Uh, in which in in a lab and a a group that really focused on being the tip of the spear for for plant phenomics and and that's kind of and that that brought in a lot of collaboration right because we can't do it ourselves as as scientists and in with plant breeders we work a lot with with engineers a lot with bioinformaticists a lot with software development and in the image analytics and and looking at machine learning deep learning so i think phenomics is kind of um, a catch-all almost term for all of that put it in together yeah and, I think that's take- that's such an interesting like to me it's almost like um, it's our, our human way of sort of saying that there's so much to capture 
right? Like there's so many new ways that we understand of seeing the environment, of measuring the environment, of seeing phenotypes, of measuring phenotypes. It almost is just like a word that calms our our inner human anxiety to the fact that there's too much data to handle. So we make a word that captures it to make it feel like something we can get a hold on, right? So like if we can define it, we can come to terms with it. Does that make sense? That you nailed it, and I did a terrible job of defining it. <laughs> but uh, but I tried it, and and I could probably go back and sit down and really start to define. It. I'm sure it's been done somewhere, but that was just my ad hoc. Yeah, movie. no, I just to me it's like, and I think you coming from from research and then going into into industry. I think you've probably seen different ways that people or organizations or teams or even international teams are trying to tackle this concept, uh, which feels very urgent, right, of getting a wrangle and a handle on all this data that we know is there Mm. and making sense of it and making it actionable. Do you feel like that was a, a pressure you felt both on the academic and the industrial side? Yeah, definitely. Um, with with new technology, we have this, it just, it seems to go faster and faster and, and in this space, uh, it could be, couldn't be more true. And I felt through, through within academia that there was, there was definitely an urgency that obviously other competitor, in, you know, um, Competitor institutions are working on similar similar projects, mm-hmm. and we wanted to get out there first because we know it's it's a small world. It's it's a big world, but within this within that big world, there's a small world of academia, and, and mm-hmm. with me and plant breeding, uh, you know what your friends. You build a lot of friends. One of the beauties of academia is you build friendships in other institutions. And you know people, and you, you go to their seminars, or, or now in, in this world you can watch their seminars on YouTube, and so you build these relationships, or, or uh, at least some type of relationships, whether it be a competitive relationship or a friendship yes, sort of sure. relationship. And they're so all relationships. You know that right. someone else, you know that they're working on the same thing or something similar to you, and so there is a rush to publish, and and to be right, and and I think what you need uh, is is collaboration, and that's one thing that I was able to do. Um, within within my research is is collaborate with engineers and uh, and um, software development people that were strong on machine machine learning side of things or or PhD students that were focused on machine learning as well as physiologists and pathologists and biologists uh, on our side of the fence on our side of campus and that's one thing that I think in the past within academia isn't as common but now in order to succeed you really you really need to leverage uh, that cross-functional collaboration, and that's the same thing that I'm seeing now in in industry. I've been in here at Corteva for a year and a half, and it's the exact same thing. So I've got I've got meetings set up on a week in a week with five different teams and five different areas within Corteva, whether it be the digital side of things, or maybe the agronomy side, or plant breeding side, or the pathology side. Um, or more the, the kind of the software development side. And I'm working with all of these different people, and that's the only way to make this happen because we're all specialists in our own right, but we're, we're nothing without being uh, part of a team and, and leveraging each other's skills and abilities. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes maybe before I came into uh, the field of agriculture because I was initially in human genetics and then I transitioned into mm. 
into plant genetics, um, it's it's a shame um, that large agricultural institutions get a bad rep, right, in a, in general society term. And of course, not within your peers or within people who are part of the industry, but maybe slightly outside. And when I hear you talk about these teams that you're meeting with, I just have this feeling like all those people are really there to try to make a valuable contribution, right? And they're incredibly skilled. Um, they're probably incredibly interested and passionate. And I'm wondering um, what's a great way to convey that, you know, these teams of people who are sitting at the ready to sort of chat, tackle these societal challenges of food supply and agriculture. Um, what has been your perspective on that once you transitioned from academics to to sort of large industry? If I had the answer to that question. <laughs> then you would I mean, be, you open your right. own PR firm. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and one of my one of my passions is science communication and it, it's incredible incredibly frustrating, but I think it's to have a story, right? Without a story, you, you, you don't go anywhere. And I created a video for um, the America Seed Trade Association last year um, called Every Seed Had a Story, and Aww. it was for their, their national award. Because individuals outside of our realm don't understand what we do or, or our passions, and, and we're here to to help farmers succeed and we're here to help feed people. That's yes. that's why we're here, right? If I look at the person sitting next to me in a meeting and that person sitting across from me in the hall, they're all people that are like me that are scientists, that are passionate about what they do and passionate about helping their family and their and the, the farmer down the road, whether that be someone they know or, or maybe like me, it's my uncle or my dad or my grandpa, helping them succeed and, and that's that's why we're here. But how how do we tell the general public that yeah. when there's always this this narrative out there that says, oh, you know, these <laughs> they're, they're evil big corporations are just out there to, to see farmers fail. I mean, how is that a good business model? <laughs> Seeing stealing from farmers, right? We're there to see farmers succeed. And that's in Corteva's mandate. That's in our that's in in one of uh, I forget what we call it, but we, we want to see yeah. our mission statement. There you go. Yeah, our mission statement. We want to see farmers succeed, and and we're all we're all passionate about it. And so we need to start our own story about, and and that's one thing I'm passionate about. I I want to get out there and, and you know come on podcasts like this or make videos that I can put on YouTube and and have the the public recognize that oh wow look at look at how far plant breeding's done. Every seed has a story like. You look at a corn, a, a corn or a maize seed from, you know, thousands of years ago when it was back before it was even called corn and now to what it is now, like the story of that seed to now feeding the world is, is incredible. And a lot of people don't know that story and, and how, how far plant breeding has come. It's just, it's incredible to see it and tell people and have their, they, them come to this realization. It's like, oh, so that's what you do. Because many people don't really even understand what we do. They just hear this totally. narrative that's out uh, totally. in the world that, that uh, you know, GMOs cause cancer, whatever it right. may be, right? right. And so totally. that I GMOs have to is the this. first thing people go to. No, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to start this counter narrative and say, no, it's actually for good. And, and uh yeah, that's been a struggle that's been going on in my mind for 15 or 20 years. And yeah. I wish we could, we ha I, I had the answer. 
Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting when um, you know we we sort of have to let go of that um, black and white mentality, right, and really see the multidimensionality of everything that we mm-hmm. contribute to this world and. The same way that I see, and probably you've also seen, you know, the idea of data or big data or machine learning or AI, all of these things are really so malleable, right? And they're really so open um, for the way that you use them. And, hmm. and not to say that good intention always leads to good results, because of course, that's, that's not the case. Um, but there's just... Uh, the desire to overcome some level of resistance to really bring bring in the benefit, right? So to really reap that reward, you have to sort of let go of some of the weight that you're carrying around about your assumptions. At least I feel like that's been some of our journey with you know some of our clients when we first talk about predictions, large-scale data, sort of this, uh, you know, putting together and sort of I'm sure you have a much different perspective on how much data is a lot of data. Um, I assume you guys have a huge amount of data, but just this idea that now we let machine learning make some of these predictions, right? And sort of like, let's let go of what that feels like it means and let's try to understand what it really means for where it's gonna take your crops and where it's gonna take your ability to really plant the right things in the field. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, exactly. One thing I, I, I often say is plant breeding used to be an art and a science, and now it's become much more of a science and less than an art. And now I'm working more in the field science and crop protection side. And although that transition is looking a little bit different and it's a little bit behind of what we're plant breeding who, who led the way, it's still coming in, in, in whereas field science was much more of an art than a science. And now we're getting to kind of 50-50 and then pushing it to the science in which we're looking at big data and we're looking at um, these large data sets and extracting data from images rather than using a subjective approach and going into the field and saying, well, I think it's this and and probably that. Um, And so that I'm gonna write that down, but then you have someone else coming in and you've got these iterator variability happening, which can be difficult to then group different trials and experiments together because everyone looks at it a different way. Plant breeding, I feel like we've we've really moved away from that because we do have big data sets. We have do large we have large um, lar- large field trials and large amount of field trials, and and we don't have the personnel to to collect all that data. So a lot of it is done remotely. A lot of it is done with drones, uh, and you know. Uh, Corteva has led the way in that space in extracting data from images, and it's really helped our, our plant breeding side of the business, and now I'm seeing it uh, starting to leverage the, the crop protection side of the business. And as, as for deep learning and, and machine learning in general, it's just the future is so bright using those technologies. Like you said, you know, <laughs> we have the best of intentions, uh, but I, I'm working with it now, and, and it's not, I mean, we're seeing what Google and, and Facebook and, and other industry leaders in machine learning are doing and we're just kind of hanging on their coattails. In fact, I was helping my parents last night over Zoom. They're trying to make a, 
they're trying to make a photo album for my nephews and nieces. And they went through all their pictures and they took the different pictures of the different nephews and nieces and put them into folders. And I said, hold on, watch this. And I took their screen and I uploaded everything to Google Photos. And I just clicked on the face of my nephew and all of the photos came of him. And I'm like, okay, these are all of nephew A and this is all yeah. of nephew B yeah. And, yeah. and my nieces. And my dad was that would have that was going to take us a week in order to sort through these thousands of photos and you just did it with the click of a button and yeah. now to use that as a story we're doing the same thing um, with data in, in the crop we're, we're flying a drone over the image and we're, we're getting plant counts instead of having you know a, a, an army of, of interns and, and summer staff and students go out there and count corn plants you know, we can have an image that will count corn plants or, or uh, where I'm working now is more assessment of disease. And so, you know, I read a publication last week in which, the, you know, they could fly a drone over and actually find where all the lesions are on the plant and quantify them. And, and that's some of the work that we were doing at Iowa State too, and not just the quantification, but the classification. And, and you know, we looked at, I think David and his project looked at eight different diseases and he was able to quantify he's able to determine which disease that was from a picture and then how much of the leaf it was taking up. So something that would take an expert, you know, days or, you know, hours just spending on their hands and knees looking at these different plants uh, can all be done computationally now. So you're really, it's just, it's mind blowing what can be it done. Is. We're just, it's like, the, it, and I think that's the, the that's the scary part of it, right? Because I think for the human mind, I mean, if you can't really get a grasp on it, if you can't really draw on experience with this sort of large amount of data processing right then you then you essentially like can't understand it and when you can't understand it then there is a fear associated with it right so mm -hmm. i think that's essentially inherent in what's happening until and i think this is maybe where you know where large industry does sort of take the reins of normalizing things like this, right? Because it has to be somebody. It has to be somebody who starts, who goes all the way through and who says essentially like, this is fine, right? Or if it's not fine, then these are the drawbacks or these are the considerations, but who takes the first step, right? Mm. And I don't know, like, do you see a role for industry to be that sort of leader and this normalizing factor that if we hear about Corteva doing this for five years, then maybe everyone else will also say like, okay, you know, let's, let's give it a shot. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a couple of different, you asked a couple of different questions there, but where I wanted to go first is we are, we are using a lot of this technology internally first, uh, and, um, and there obviously is resistance. There's there's individuals that have been you know in in plant science for 30, 40 years, and they've done things a certain way, and they've really developed their expertise. So when you have a new methodology that really upsets the apple cart come in, there's going to be resistance. Uh, whenever we get, whenever we develop a new approach, new methodology, that has to go through a long vetting process, like years of vetting, like three years for a, for a new assessment that we take at least. And that has to be uh, correlated with the ground truth data. So if I'm an expert in the field or, or Jim or John or, or Anna is an expert in the field, we correlate what we're doing remotely 
with that remote sensing data with what's going on in the ground to ensure. And that gives not only gives us confidence in the data, it gives the scientists confidence that yes, this can work. And part of it is is coming from kind of a, a bit of a hierarchical structure saying, you know, from the top, no, this is the way we're going to do it. We're going to push into this. We're going to push into technology. We're going to be the, the, the groundbreakers. And, and you gotta, you gotta follow, follow what our, our lead. And, and so there's a little bit of that too. Um, you know, so people, you, my, my leaders come to me and say, no, Kevin, we're wanting to do this and I need you to lead it. And we're going to develop a new methodology to do this. It's going to be groundbreaking, but let's go for it. And, and they, they empower me uh, to then empower others. Um, now that we've developed a lot of these new tools, what's the next step? Well, right. maybe ro- rolling out to, to growers. So one thing that I'm really interested in is how can we utilize uh, these models, these, these machine learning or deep learning or image, just basic image um, analysis models, how can we leverage those to help farmers succeed? And, re- and be more environmentally friendly, for example. And, and none of this is to do with my work or anything. I'm just thinking off the cuff with conversations I had uh, while in grad school. But we can start to identify diseases in the field or, or weeds or different pests in the field and where they are and have a tr- tr- prescriptive treatment just for those areas, just for that plant, right? And we've seen different different startups come in that only spray the weeds, right? Because they have a computer on the sprayer, the sprayer sees, oh, there's a weed there, I'm going to spray it. Or there's disease there, we're going to have some type of prescriptive treatment or curative treatment to spray on that leaf or that plant, rather than doing a broadcast spray over everything, the, the traditional approach. So I feel like the first step is us using these tools internally, uh, but the next step is then then rolling them out and, and allowing growers to use it. So, you know, if you ask me what the world looks like in in fifteen or twenty years, or maybe it's even even less than that, but I think that that growers will have a, a drone sitting in the corner, same as how I have a Roomba that goes across and and picks up all the dirt. the The drone will fly and scout the field, identify where the weeds are, yeah. what the weeds are, and then and then relay that information back to the sprayer. Um, who will then then go and only turn the nozzle on when there's a weed there or when there's disease there. That's that's one approach. Maybe another approach is having a whole swarm of drones and um, there's more and more work being going into uh, application technology. So the swarm of drones can go and hit individual areas and you don't need a large sprayer. You just need 10, 10 drones that constantly, like a Roomba, scout your field and and apply these treatments so i mean this is the stuff that i think about that we those fireside chats you know after yeah. work and like oh. yeah 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 that's one of the one of the things i i miss a little bit about academia because i was in a small office with you know six other people and we were just kind of shoved in there and this is what we would talk about all day yeah. it's just this bright future with all the technology and seeing how that we can leverage that technology in agriculture and what we do not to poach you uh, from Cortero, obviously, but maybe you see yourself in a, you know, a startup one day to really, uh, you know, take some of those things. And I know that you mentioned, you know, I think probably, honestly, that's a fair criticism that compared to the scope of the way that large ag can launch something, probably startups are working on a much smaller scale, right? At a much smaller dimension. Um, mm-hmm. But there's yep. probably an advantage to the agility or some other aspects which then get integrated. I'm sure there's a I'm sure there's a natural life cycle of like, you know, startup into 
you know, into bigger concept or I'm not sure. Yeah, I and it's something I've thought about a lot. There's a, a lot of startups and uh, out there. And I had a meeting with one yesterday uh, for drone imagery, and they were using multispectral cameras. And I think what we're trying to do at at Corteva and other companies are is, is leveraging uh, those relationships because we can't be agile like they can. I can't. One of the beautiful things about at, about being in my PhD is we would just go out and and do stuff. Like we'd have some idea <laughs> over lunch. We're like, okay, you grabbing the cameras, I'm grabbing the drone. Um, we'll build this. I'll go to, to Lowe's and pick up some lumber. We'll build this. And by the end of the next day, we have a prototype in action. And, and startups feel the same way. And, and honestly, yeah. at, at our Sing Soynomics lab that I, was, that I worked in at, during my PhD, that's how we were. We were essentially a startup and we just went and did stuff. Now in, in industry, obviously, the scale is much bigger. We can leverage a lot, you know, diverse set of, of expertise and people. But there's always a lot of checks and balances. Like I said, you need three years of data in order to be vetted that that works, that that approach works. Um, and there's budgets and there's there's other other constraints as well. So yeah. there's benefits to both sides. Sure. But yeah, it's 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 really inspiring being in that free space. If you have the funding to do it and just going out and doing it and being with like minded, passionate people, just being out in the field and, and having fun and developing these new tools and seeing them work and having that eureka moment it's just it, nothing beats it um, it's so interesting like when you get people who are scientifically minded or who love that idea of science together it's like an instantaneous connection because you know like even if i think it's my phd it wasn't in field science it was in you know human genetics but it's still the same like i love that i love that um you know that concept of scientific thought and exploration and i wish that was the topic of conversation these days you know in public media and sort of what was valued in our society because we have so much of it in um, america is just you know huge so we're both talking from the states obviously not our the rest of the world is equally talented if not more so but mm. I guess I'm speaking more to the effect of what I see media focus on here versus what I know is really here. You know what yeah. I mean? Like our true innovative spirit, the desire for for forward momentum, but like not at the cost, not in this very, um, you know, negative aspects of capitalism driven way, but really in the spirit of scientific innovation. It's really there and it's really... I think agriculture in a way um, doesn't get that across to the youth. <laughs> Probably the fact that I'm saying youth means I'm very old, but to the youth of today, <laughs> you know? Um, You're not and old. To, <laughs> <laughs> and to get more people excited about it because it's just such an exciting field, to, in my opinion. And I think you feel the same way. Oh, definitely. And that's one thing I'm passionate. Actually, before I got on, on this this call with you, I was, I was on a call with Rhonda Ham, who leads our scientific outreach for schools uh, within Corteva. And I meet with her oh, once, a, so once cool. a month. And we try to see how we can how we can build relationships within within the community and within schools uh and so she works more in the the k to six or the the middle early years middle years i i like to drop by by the high school here and speak to speak to the the 12th grade class or the 10th grade biology class and and tell them about plant breeding or about science and genetics in general because 
they don't know. There's, there's yes, no one teaching yes, them this, and yes. it's so exciting. And, and there's many uh, students that their eyes light up. They didn't realize what I do was a thing. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to be to be raised in this this scientific agricultural um, hub, this incubator type community in which any summer job that we'd ever get would be a pollination crew, right? So you'd be out in the field crossing crossing canola or corn or whatever crop so it was cool. and you don't you don't know what it was but then i had a i had a conversation with a master student that was leading the crew who was masters in genetics or plant breeding or whatever and she would tell me oh this is why we're doing this i'm just like i had no idea i thought i was just crossing corn or crossing like i didn't know what crossing meant and that really steered me into that into that um that direction into into science and and we need more people yeah. out there uh, passionate about it, telling their story, influencing yeah. the community, influencing students, and it always seems like it's the the negative narrative that gets the the, the spotlight and not yeah. the positive narrative. It goes back to what you're saying earlier. So how can we how can we influence the the youth of today to to seek um, to see to seek a innovation and challenge? Yeah, and and. Um, fulfillment in a field that's in incredibly fulfilling and I mean I'm guilty of this myself um I I knew nothing essentially until I joined Computomics and sort of delved right into this and I think what took me immediately by um by pleasant surprise was just the complexity of plant genetics and I was like okay I mean this is a very naive way to look at it but I was like if it's complicated it must be worth exploring you know yeah. so um, yeah, I agree. And thank you so much for talking to us today. I think, you know, this, I think this podcast, the goal of it was really that if somebody even hears us talk for 30 seconds, if they can relate to anything we say, or if they think, Hey, these people sound like too intelligent, um, you know, satisfied, intellectually stimulated people there in agriculture, maybe, maybe that's something for me, um, to do as well. So I couldn't agree more. Like, yeah, if there's listeners that are interested in in agriculture, plant science, or or kind of the intersection between computers and 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 technology and plant science, definitely drop me a line or hit me up um, because because I I love having those conversations. I see the future as being so bright, especially with the technology that's coming and how far plant breeding and genomics has come. And, and, and it just, the future, yeah, like I said, the future is bright. I, uh, I agree. That's, I think, a nice note to leave um, for, put out into the universe for this upcoming year. Let's, let's keep it that way. So thanks, Kevin. Um, I'll leave your email in the, in the link to the show notes so that people can get a hold of you. And, and yeah, connect, connect with either of us, connect with Computomics, and let us know if you have any questions. So thanks, Kevin. Definitely nice, nice talking to you, Hannah. So thank you everyone for listening to our episode with Kevin. I just love his passion for agriculture and for science communication and his perspective on working in both academia and in large industry. I think it's so important to understand um, the field and the problem and all of the players and stakeholders and really to give credit to everyone who is um, you know, fighting the good fight and 
as they may see it. So I really appreciate Kevin and his time and I hope you learned something. And as always, feel free to get in touch with us, info at computomics.com and we will see you next time.